Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Food, which is pretty easy for most of us, isn't it? Well, what about how you can get in on the agri-tech revolution? The agri-food industry in Asia, it's undergoing a technological revolution right now, which is projected to broaden the scope of the agri-tech business. Of course, innovation is key, and according to a report from SQLI Digital, the Singapore Food Agency has the ambition of producing 30% of its food locally by 2030. Meanwhile, a recent report from KR Asia found that the SFA needs at least four million U.S. dollars to create an agriculture industry that is resilient to Asia's climate. As the agri-tech revolution converges on Southeast Asia, let's find out how investors such as you can navigate agriculture in the digital decade. Philippe Kulin, head of strategy at Mandalay, joins us now to tell us more. Hi, Philippe. Hi there. Thanks for joining us, Philippe. Now, first of all, let's talk about the breadth and scope of agri-tech. What exactly are we referring to with that term? What does it encompass? It's a very good question. Um, And actually, very often we use the words agri-food tech rather than agri-tech to talk about everything that is innovation from farm to fork. So we're talking inputs into farms. We're talking on-farm technologies and automation and machinery. We're talking distribution, logistics, processing of food. We're talking food science. And then we're talking uh, about applications that are closer to the consumer, retail, e-grocery and whatnot. So it's quite a broad space, to be honest. Okay. So where are we now in this revolution in regard to how Southeast Asia is getting in on it? Yeah, fantastic. Really good question as well. Um, We've seen an explosion of innovation uh, over the last few years in agriculture. I mean, agriculture has always been a very innovative um, sector over, you know, uh, thousands of years. Um, But probably in the last hundred years or so, we've seen everything from mechanization uh, on farm. So everything that's, you know, heavy machinery uh, on farm, uh, all kinds of processing um, equipment and whatnot. Um, Logistics has come a long way. So we're talking really about that mechanization of of, um, of agriculture um, and, and the food industries. Um, but then over the last few years, we've, start, we've seen obviously the, the, the rise of connected digital technologies. Um, and we're quite far into that, into that space now. So access to data, uh, data integrations, um, digital agronomists, um, access to um, uh, data and information across the entire value chain and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, th- that's, that's probably quite, quite advanced. Now, whilst I think the technology is there, it doesn't necessarily mean that the adoption is there. Um, and we're mm. still seeing quite a big duality in agriculture where, yes, a lot of these things are out there, but, you know, how are they accessible to, let's say, smallholder farmers across the entire um, entirety of Asia, which, you know, characterizes Asia as opposed to, for example, Australia, where I'm based, where you see, you know, professional sort of larger, um, uh, larger sites and, um, and farms. And so they have, you know, I guess, uh, more means and margins to allow them to invest in these types of things. So let's talk Um, about the obstacles to adoption here. Clearly, financing has a lot to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the big things that we're solving um, at the moment. And I think there is a a growing field that for, I guess, practitioners we call agri-fintech, which is really that nexus of, you know, how do we provide better access, um, you know, data-driven and tech-driven access to uh, insurance, finance, you know, funding for all kinds of things. And so we're seeing these wraparound business models um, around uh, farmers, how they can better connect, how, can they, how they can have better access to market data, how they can collaborate 
and sort of have a stronger collective voice. And that that does change um, quite a bit in terms of being able to participate in some of these in, into some of these uh, models and through very often through those models and then have access to additional equipment, um, you know, perhaps equipment hire or equipment financing um, and all kinds of technology. The thing is, agri-food tech has been seen as a solution to the ravages of climate change. But that doesn't mean that we should forget about curtailing climate change. We should forget about mitigating climate change just because we have access to mm. all these technologies that can actually compensate for the ravages of climate change. Yeah, absolutely. I think climate is a big discussion happening right now in, in agriculture as well as other other sectors. Um, uh, we're actually quite excited or immensely excited about this space because we've seen the buzz um, and the momentum and the energy rise especially over the last few years. Um, in 2023, so moving to sort of next year, we're seeing climate or the nexus of climate and agriculture really consolidating into a, a more mature environment where we have the people with the right skills to understand, you know, what the, what the opportunities and challenges really are, um, how we are contributing to mitigation. Um, and so this is where we're quite excited about new opportunities to connect nature-based solutions, biodiversity conversation, uh, carbon capture, whatnot, and um, and agriculture. So sustainable agriculture practices, but also from an environmental and from a climate perspective. And we're only really at the moment becoming really good at managing that. And very often um, uh, we're talking either very basic and sort of tra- back to traditional and regenerative uh, practices of agriculture, but, um, but often also supported by technologies, platforms, uh, uh, satellite imagery and whatnot that gives us the right kind of information to be able to go back to old practices. Mm. And one of the other reasons I brought up climate change is also because there has been a lot of debate about whether or not developed nations are doing enough to help developing Mm. nations uh, get on board and to be more green, more environmentally friendly. They are going to need help. And this rich-poor divide is getting quite Mm. concerning. Are they getting enough help? Will they as we move forward into the future? Those are all questions that have yet to be answered. So when it comes to financing in the agri-tech space, the agri-food tech space, are we seeing a similar issue here? We are seeing a similar issue, and um, I'm glad you brought it up because from the perspective of Mandalay and our philosophy and our values is that we don't feel like we're an Australian firm contributing um, to Asia from an aid perspective. We're not here to provide um, you know, philanthropy or um, you know, supporting, let's say, the, 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 as you said, the rich and poor, or poor divide. I think there's a real... Um, there is a real opportunity to collaborate across the entire region for Australia to be a participant um, in the Asia-Pacific region or ASEAN region. Um, And I think there's actually a lot we can learn from practices um, across um, uh, across Asia, and there's um, there's organisations that are doing amazing things in that space. And I just want to name out, for example, Grow Asia, who is looking at um, you know the incredible regenerative and traditional practices that we can learn a lot from. Uh, whilst we think um, you know we can see opportunities for um, climate tech or agri food tech companies uh, emerging in Thailand, in Vietnam, and in Singapore, um, as well as in Australia, providing um, sort of truly regional markets for for all of them. So yes, there is a divide. Um, I think obviously being able to afford um, new ways of working uh, is is a very important thing. And as you know, when you're rich, you can afford it. When you're poor, you can't. Uh, but 
I believe technology has a real opportunity to solve some of those things. So I know that you guys are a seed to Series A venture fund focused on investing in and growing companies that are commercializing new tech across (laughs) the global farm to fork value chain. You've got to explain how this works and how investors can get in on this and really make an impact, not just make money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I think it's a um, it's definitely a balance, I and mean, we are a venture fund. Um, obviously, a venture fund has a mandate to make money for its investors. Doesn't mean that it has to has to stand separately from also creating an impact. So, tech, as we just said before, technology companies have a sustainability mindset that understand what is material to their industries, to their sectors. Because obviously, we're talking agri-food, but we're talking all these different kind of um, crops and produce and and, and types of um, uh, types of, of farming techniques and whatnot. So it's actually a big, a big space. One of the good ways to talk about what we do is let's look at the founders that we're supporting. When we're an early stage venture fund, we support founders usually that have a relatively small teams um, and a lot is dependent on you know the quality, let's say, of the of the founders. So what do we look for in those founders? Well, we look for a level of determination and grit and passion and drive that you would look for um, in an entrepreneur in general. That sits across any kind of investment strategy. Okay, so the people can really make it happen, who can really execute on the vision and the and, and the process. Then we're looking at people who speak with knowledge about the industries that they're trying to affect. They are not happy about the status quo. They, they know what is required to create change. They know what is material um, to their customers and to their industries. Um, and they're, they're driven and passionate after solving for some of those big issues. So this is where you can see really the beautiful overlap of, you know, these are going to be good businesses, but are also going to be good businesses that can have a long-term vision of what is required in terms of change within their industry. So those go hand in hand really well. And when you're talking about agriculture and you're talking about land and you're talking, um, you know, about essentially you know, the rawest form of, um, uh, of work, sustainability and innovation go hand in hand really well. Um, and so, you know, that is one of, the, one of the big strengths of this space and connecting to all the things you said before, climate change, mitigation, adaptation, um, all kinds of environmental conditions, as well as um, increasing the livelihood of farmers across the whole region who, you know, as you said before, are probably um, some of or very often some of the poorest. Um, and mm. so how can we create better lives there? Yeah. I have heard some investors say that they are put off because of, for example, a lack of regulation in some countries. What other mm. obstacles or challenges might there be that they need to take note of as they move into this space? Obviously, a lot of funds will um, today call themselves ESG funds or yeah. green funds or clean funds or whatnot. So uh, there is a lot of buzz uh, still and fuzz in that space. And that is partly due to unclear regulations. Like how, and and that, that's changing really quickly. So that's why I was saying before 2023, I think, is a real year of change because disclosures are going to be more clear. Um, how you report on some of those things are really quite um, you know, directed and legislated. So we're not, you know, we're not far off all of that becoming a reality. Other things are, you know, what are some of the frontier markets where, you know, an innovation that's that's true in many sector, sectors is that we're pushing into uncharted territory. Um, you know, and you're talking about, for example, carbon markets uh, or other kinds of sustainability credentials who to date um, are forming, are popping up left, right and center. Um, and some countries are better than others are being very coordinated at how, how those work. Um, and so how... You know, how do we participate early 
um, in those things versus, um, you know, waiting and seeing what's going to happen again. 2023, I think it's a huge year for investment in that space because there will be larger clarity on all of these, um, all of these things as well. All right. Thank you very much for your time today, Philippe. Philippe Coulin, Head of Strategy at Mandalay. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.